0: Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk. This is a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Thanks for finding us. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Canadian songwriter Rose Cousins hates small talk. She'd much prefer to get down to the bone of your humanity and know about your struggle than talk about the weather. Raised in the tight-knit community on Prince Edward Island, at a young age, Cousins had the sense of helping out others and lifting up others instilled in her. She also spent a lot of time alone working to process her deepest feelings. We talk about how the piano served as a way to express herself through music, which led to playing guitar and writing. In university, Rose studied kinesiology, which has made her aware of her own body and is something she thinks about and uses every day. At one point, she was on her way to becoming a strength and conditioning coach, but music took off for her in unexpected ways. She's thrived and grown through musical community, particularly through the Cambridge, Massachusetts scene surrounded by Club Passim. She credits Rose Polanzani, Jennifer Kimball, Chris Delmhorst, and of course, Passim's managing director, Matt Smith, for their encouragement in developing herself musically rose's latest album bravado contains multitudes within the writing she talks about how she has grown closer to her truth and being able to express that through the songs and i'm particularly taken with the brilliance of the benefits of being alone in its ability to make you laugh and cry so hard within the span of minutes Rose has been a dear friend for a long time, so this was particularly meaningful to be able to talk to her through this medium. And I'm so pleased that this is our 100th episode with such a special artist. Right now, we'll take a listen to a song from the album Bravado. And we'll get to our conversation with Rose Cousins. Um, I mentioned the benefits of being alone, but I'm going to do a different song called The Return." Love Comes Back because it's like my most played song of last year. So let's check it out. This is The Return." Love Comes Back, and then we'll talk to Rose Cousins for our 100th episode of Basic Folk.
1: I wish my heart was a hymn. i put you back a heart like yours If my
0: for coming on the podcast today. I feel like I'm the only one who hasn't done it.
1: So thank you for having me.
0: I just want to tell you that this is the 100th Basic (gasps) Folk episode.
1: What? Oh my God, this is the same age as me.
0: Yeah, you look so good for 100. I, I use a lot of really expensive face creams. Yeah, well, it's paid off. Great. So you were born and raised in beautiful... Prince Edward Island, home of many wonderful things like Anne of Green Gables. How do you think the place that you grew up in helped shape your personality and what keeps you connected to it even when you're not there? Well, I do live quite close to it. I live a three hour drive. So, you know, that's a, I,
1: I came to Halifax, Nova Scotia to go to school and I stay here because it is close to my family, and just kind of a bit bigger than Prince Edward Island. Growing up in a small place, which is nestled within, you know, four slightly, you know, lightly populated provinces, the Atlantic provinces, there's there's definitely an East Coast feel, which is community-based, you know, which is a nurturing place, and I feel like I walk in the world as someone who grew up in a small community whose instinct is to lift all of our people up, you know, whether it's like stopping by the side of the road to help someone who looks like they need help or giving them a lift to town or, you know, the way that people gather around each other when they're in small communities, which can also exist in a big city. But when I first started going to the US and bigger cities, including Boston, I had probably a bit of naivete. And uh, Or when I was walking in New York and people weren't saying hi to me, and I'm like, what is the deal? You know, I was, <laughs> I was probably a bit tender in, in the bigger cities, but the landscape of PEI is probably what my inner landscape looks like. And it's the place I feel understood, maybe, even though there was probably a section of time after I left that very small place where I felt deeply not understood. But it's probably because I didn't even understand myself. but. Mm. Um, It's a gorgeous place. I feel very proud to be from there. I feel very proud to continue to live in East Coast Canada. Yeah, there is a real
0: sense of pride attached to it. And uh, it's still an extremely important place to me. From what I understand, you grew up on a potato farm. Mm -hmm. Same as the much-celebrated singer-songwriter Ellis Paul. Mm -hmm. Can you set the scene for growing up as the second of five children on a seaside potato farm like, what were the chores like? And what did play look like for you and your siblings? Um, yeah,
1: the farther I've gotten away from my childhood, the, the the more I can see it with gratitude, I guess. The place was very busy, a uh, very active farm. So, you know, lots of, there were lots of people working on the farm and certainly seasonally it was very busy in the spring, uh, spring summer, fall. There, Yeah, we played, I played outside in the dirt. We would jump in the back of a truck in summer and drive to the beach. It was very close to the beach. You know, we had always had a German Shepherd dog running around. We had cats. It was, it's a beautiful place, unbelievably beautiful place, you know, where you can, where it's like your mom says, go play outside and you can go do it and you're completely fine. But a lot of, yeah, heavy traffic and always something to do, which is probably why I have this like sense of guilt for idleness. <laughs> so even, you know, we you know, I I would, you know, scrape and paint buildings or like mow the lawn or, you know, clean the bathrooms and dust the whatever. There was always lots of chores. Um I didn't do a, a lot of work in the farming part of it specifically, but certainly like, you know, property upkeep and um I babysat my three younger brothers a lot. And once I got my license, there was always, like, if you were taking a vehicle to town, there was always going to be, like, a tractor part that you had to go and pick up somewhere or drop <laughs> a check off somewhere or drive someone out to the warehouse or, you know. I always say that I, I learned a lot of transferable skills when I was growing up that, that served me now, and certainly one of them is teamwork,
0: <laughs> I guess, even though I yeah, deeply yeah. resented it when I was sure. a teenager. What was the thing that you always wanted to do instead of chores?
1: I don't know. I don't, nothing, nothing pops to mind. Probably watch TV. Yeah. We didn't. We only had. We were kind of like in a zone where we only had one channel, which was CBC. Or let me correct. Two channels. French CBC and English CBC. Yeah. Uh. Um, <laughs> And uh, we watched more TV when dad wasn't around. But as soon as he came home, it was just like, oh, shit, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> but, I don't know. I did a lot of I spent a lot of time in my room listening to music or um, thinking, <laughs> sometimes writing, I played piano when I was a kid, just instrumentally mm-hmm. um, by ear. And it was a very busy place to grow up. And and a lot of times a lonely place to grow up,
0: even though there was lots of stuff going on. Mm. I have observed over the years that there is like a sweet closeness in your immediate family, just from you talking about them or posting pictures of them or just writing about them. What did that closeness look like growing up? And then also like on top of Growing up in a small town and, and um, really being connected by communities there, like, how do you think the closeness of your family has impacted your desire to connect with others?
1: Well, that that's really interesting because, and I like that there's a perception that, that we are close. I'm certainly closer with some members than others. But I do think, not unlike lots of people who grow up uh, in the 80s and 90s, I was in a family that didn't talk about emotions. It was a lot of, like, we're all very high-functioning people, so when it's time to get stuff done, no problem. But talking about, you know, each each of our experiences in the world <laughs> emotionally, mm-hmm. that wasn't something that happened, so that was a lot. I did a lot of that processing on my own. And I think that's probably why my writing goes so to, to, to the deepest part of the emotion that's closest to the bone. Cause it's all the stuff that, whether it confused me or, you know, the thing the, the things I didn't talk about, but I would write into, you know, an, a, um, hmm. an instrumental piece on the piano. It's like, I had a relationship with music that helped me work through my feelings because I wasn't talking to anyone about them. And so I think that is now the most interesting conversations for me. Like I, I like small talk makes me want to peel my skin off (laughs) and I would rather just like go just right into what the struggle is because I'm most interested in in that and then therefore I guess most of my catalog would you know goes to that deep level and it's also one of the great things about writing with other people is there's this thing that you're there to accomplish. And so you move to the heart of what each of us are thinking about actually and processing because writers tend to process things. And so you can you can kind of skip. I like to skip the steps of. Hello, who who are you? What's going on? And what's the weather? Great. I don't care. <laughs> I care about how you're feeling and what you're struggling with. And like, did you sleep last night? And why not?
0: You know, How does your family react to how, like, emotionally open you are now? Um,
1: I don't. It's kind of the same. Like, I don't have discussions with my family about my music. Probably my brothers, a couple of my brothers I'm closer with. But they're all unbelievably supportive. They come to concerts. You know, my mom one time asked me if a song was about my dad. My dad is just, it always is just kind of like really proud and slightly confused. Like he's like, I have, don't know, understand how you, I don't understand how you, how you come up with those songs. And you seem to get better every time. And that, of course, is just, that's just like the greatest mm. Um but yeah, they're all unbelievably supportive. And my sister and my mom are all very musical and, and everyone is, is amazing. It's I feel very lucky, you know, to have that support, whether they get it or not. They're certainly,
0: they show up, which is nice. That is nice. It's interesting to, I mean, I had this completely different observation of your family and it sounds like music really helped you channel and grow your emotions and as a young person like I read that you loved movie scores and instrumental music and you really liked emotional music can you talk more about how that uh how emotional music resonated with you and helped you dig into human emotions more
1: yeah I used to listen to well, I would I would um be struck by m- movie scores. My dad had a little cassette recorder and I would take it and hold it up to the TV and record the yes. song that I liked and take it back <laughs> to the piano and learn it by ear. It's just that the the you mean music is the thing that people don't remember that's there, but it is the thing that creates the the whole emotional canvas of what's happening on the scene for me and probably lots of people who have a deep relationship with music it is the soundtrack to our lives and so i'm sure there was things in the in the musical scores that i was hearing that were helping me work through whatever i was working through which is probably just a lot of not being able to talk about feelings as a teenager Mm. Um, so i am still deeply moved by emotional cinematic music which my music has elements of that I tend you know strings are so deeply emotional and piano is such an expressive instrument that those are the ways that I lean and that tends to be the music that I love I love melody and yeah kind of like the expansion and contraction of of a musical journey whether it has lyrics or not but but it definitely started with From my own playing of music on piano Mm. as just instrumental stuff. So I would compose just instrumental stuff. I would feel I just play my feelings into the piano, really.
0: I have a theory about you and the piano. Um, Oh, God. (laughs) Are you ready? (laughs) Yes. So you call yourself an introvert, and the piano was your first instrument. You taught yourself to play the piano. When did you first start playing the piano? Um, I know I took lessons, I,
1: I wish I knew what age, but I think it was early on. It must have been, I, I may, maybe I started somewhere between six and eight. Okay. Um, taking basic lessons from the minister's wife, but then I would come home and, and have to practice and then I would just get my mom <laughs> to play the song and then I would play it back by ear at the lesson the next time, like if I forgot it. So it wasn't really, I just didn't. I couldn't imagine s- seeing the music on the paper. I only experienced
0: it as a as a thing to hear. And then I read that in college you would sneak off to play piano alone and then you didn't record yourself on an album playing the piano until 2009 on the send-off. Right. So here's the theory or the question, okay. I guess. How do you think about that introverted side of yourself like living in parallel with your experience with the piano. How do I feel about it? How do I think about it?
1: Yeah, I'm just trying to I'm trying to like digest your question. I mean the my relationship with the piano was very private. It's still private but but I yeah I think that's probably I also became obsessed with guitar when I went to university so I spend all my time playing guitar and then there was a piano in the cafeteria of my residence and I would get the key and go in late at night but yeah it was it I think it was probably because it was a really private relationship because it was so emotional which is different than like plunking out cranberries and Sarah McLaughlin tunes
0: on the sure. guitar
1: yeah it was my second album I didn't I didn't play piano on the record until I did my second one.
0: It seems like maybe I was a little off of like, it's not related to being an introvert, but it's related to vulnerability and emotion.
1: Yeah, but so is introversion. I mean, they are, it is all related. It does make, it does make sense. Like, what do you do when you retreat in your own space to yourself? What do you need to do to refill your tank you know and I definitely do that by myself and and um as a kid and to my early 20s was you know that wasn't something wasn't something that I shared with anybody I had one friend Ryan who um he was kind of like a a early musical soulmate and we used to sneak off into the student union building and get the key for for that room which had a beautiful piano in it and uh play songs for each other but but yeah, other than that, it was pretty private.
0: Yeah, I really like I hearing about. Makes, makes sense. No, it totally makes sense, and thank you for entertaining my wild theory. Um, yeah, I like to hear people talk about their relationship to instruments, and it's mm-hmm. it's cool. It's a it's cool to hear about yours. I consider that the piano was
1: is probably the closest witness to my youth and like my m- emotional experience of that mm. like it, it, my, it is probably my most intimate relationship from that time like the piano that still lives at the farm it's like beaten up and out of tune but but I definitely spent my most like painful hurt times there mm. feeling like it was a safe place you know yeah Teenage years. Actually, it was like all my childhood, but.
0: (laughs) You were a teenager your whole childhood. My whole childhood as a teenager was horrible. I, Rose, I've actually learned quite a bit about folk musicians, like especially Canadians, because you are Canadian, um, from you over the years. I'm thinking like particularly Tim O'Brien and Cheryl Wheeler, like among others, like for me, like you, I might have known those names, but like you validated them to me as like, these are, you know, incredible musicians. Um, And you've also named like Sean Colvin and Patty Griffin as heroes when did you start learning about this type of songwriter music and what was that like experience like for you learning about all these different kinds of songwriters like if there was a like a partner in crime sharing this music with you or just uh, getting it from all over the place what was it like yeah
1: there was there were kind of like a few key people that shared music with me my friend Ryan who I mentioned um, was was introducing he got obsessed with the bluegrass world so that was kind of like the Tim O'Brien and I was listening to Alice and Crows before that, which of course, led like the, the Carter family, that kind of era and like Gillian Welch in that kind of pocket. And then I had another friend named Jay and he always made me mixed cassette tapes um, and and CDs and and introduced me actually to Edie Carey, who, as you know, is now my best friend. He he mm-hmm. gave me he ended up seeing her at a festival with Melissa Ferrick in Toronto. And he's like, oh, my God, you got to hear this girl. And sent me her music, but he used to make me incredible tapes, w- including um, like Garrison Starr, because I, I wouldn't have known her, and now she's a friend of mine. It's so actually amazing. Then, my and my friend Amy Campbell, she was also very, um, she shared a lot of really great music, including Deb Talon, um, Rose Polanzani, and the things that really led me to my family now in Boston. Uh-huh. Um, I definitely would give credit to those those three in the section of music that I ended up in that, that kind of like folk melody, lyrical based, like um, emotional based music. Mm. So I'm very thankful to those people who came into my life and, and, you know, certainly the sharing of, of lots of different music. I mean, so much I often I've recently thought about, you know, going back and listening to what I was listening to in like the late nineties, you know, it's, it would be all, all the cool little indie bands. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm like, you, for, by the time I finish answering, I have no idea
0: what you asked me. <laughs> That's the way this podcast works. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just want to hear you talk endlessly. Oh, yeah. You attended Dalhousie, Dalhousie University? Dalhousie. Dalhousie University or Dal? Dal? dal 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 the dal tigers go tigers you have a degree in kinesiology 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 the study of the mechanics of body movements which is funny to know that there is such a wonderful word for what you study because i think when you and i met i was like oh rose she she's like a workout person (laughs) i like that you had that (laughs) approach. Um, but what made you interested in that particular field and interested in science in general? And also like, I'm wondering if having that knowledge helps you like in your touring life or being able to take care of yourself on tour. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm,
1: I'm not sure. I, I definitely have always been science leaning and it's probably because if i if i contrast myself in biology class in in high school and how easy it was to learn that material because it was fact it was science and it was fact and then being asked to interpret a poem in english class and just utterly failing <laughs> you know it hasn't it isn't until years and years later that i become a writer and i'm just like a poem can mean so many things and there was no way that i could have gotten that wrong or right but the level of intimidation of it was really high but like science is like it's this, this, and this, and I'm, and I'm deeply interested. I always was interested probably because I had the typical female poor relationship with my body, and I got you know, un, you know unhealthily obsessed with exercise as a teenager. When I saw kinesiology, I was like, oh my God, I can learn everything about the body. That's so cool. I, it was going to be either nutrition or kinesiology, and the kinesiology was an advanced major, which meant you could go right into your degree and do four years and have it. And um, all the classes sounded really interesting, and um, I just was always I was always really interested in the the body, and I do feel like it's a degree that I use every single day. The fact that I kind of know the mus- muscular and skeletal structure, and and how the organs work, and and I'm generally interest tuned into my body in in a way, whether it's with my physical fitness or my own nutrition, and I'm interested on a continuous basis of the kind of exercise trends and, and, and nutrition trends and biohacking trends. Those things are all very interesting, interesting to me. Um, And a couple of my brothers are like kind of into that too. So we kind of share, you know, I, I do um, have some interest in the people who are trying to figure out how to live longer, but to really take care of one's body is, yeah, you kind of have to be tuned in, into it. And yeah, and it has served me absolutely in the touring and in and, and in my job. I, but I mean, I get off the rails and I get on the rails. Like I was, you know, super crazy hitting it hard with exercise at the first few months of the pandemic, and then I got a dog and 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 uh, not doing my strength training anymore. But I'm doing the walks. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's um the body fascinates me. It probably always will. I'm glad that I chose that degree. And, uh, I got to do some, I, I took a course in sports psychology and ended up working six years do, doing mental training for the sports teams there. I played, uh, varsity volleyball and, and was on the rowing team. And then you were a tiger and worked. I was a tiger. Yeah. yeah proudly. Yeah. And I did have, I, I was thinking that I would eventually kind of become a personal trainer and on a very high level. Cause I, I did this like really intense exam to be a strength
0: conditioning coach, mm. um, but uh, look at me now. <laughs> Remember, we went and saw the bodies exhibit at the Museum of yes! Science in Boston, and that was the
1: first year for it, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I loved that. I wish I wish I had known more about because like. The, when I was at that age, I wasn't like, so what did you major in in college? And like, tell me about right. your family and all your background. I was just like, how can I get through the day without crying? Um, but anyways, <laughs> I wish that I had known that you had that background in in going through the bodies exhibit with you. Yeah, that was, that, that was just like a, that was
1: a phenomenal experience. And I, I'd love to see it again. It was amazing. If you
0: do go, I'd like to go with you. Sure. Let's do it make a date. You have been a photographer since you were young. Um, What sparked Mm -hmm. that interest and how does observing the world as a photographer affect your writing?
1: I got a little um, camera that had a flip flash on it. My sister got, I think she got a blue one and I got a pink one. A little camera. I think it took 110 film and you put a little flash guy flip flash on it. I loved it very much. And kind of, kind of took it everywhere, and you'd take it to the drugstore and get the, the film done. And then there was this moment where I took a photo that had foreground background. So I took a photo out over the pond in the, uh, on the farm where I grew up. And so there was a leaf in the foreground and the pond in the background. And I got that picture back, and I was like, whoa, this is such a cool perspective. And it was kind of from there and i and I don't remember exactly how old I was. I might have been thirteen maybe i I know I got the camera probably when I was like maybe ten. I don't really know, but it was in that zone I know I remember, remember taking it to camp and breaking it trying to get up on a bunk bed um so yeah I just I learned on film and still shoot film and mostly shoot Polaroid actually these days which which I was shooting, and then I met Rose Polanzani, and she was also shooting shooting Polaroid, but it's um I feel like it photography is another silent way. It's just like a silent version of a song. It's like a song is a perspective,
0: hmm.
1: and a photograph is a perspective, and it's it's like the song is how I would experience something, and the photograph is the way that I would see something. It's a different thing, but it's a companion. It's kind of like the visual version of, um, I don't know, it's just seeing different perspectives. But yeah, I do, I walk around and I see, I see photographs and um, if I'm lucky to capture a couple of them. And the, the beautiful thing that I love about photography and film especially, which is my favorite medium, is that you don't know until you get the film back or until you process the film, whether it worked or not. Like every time you take a photograph on film, it's a risk. And, um, I just love that maybe it won't work out, but you went for it. You know what I mean? Like you use the knowledge that you understand about the film and the light and the camera. And, uh, there's just so many wonderful, amazing things that come out of it. So it's definitely, uh, very important to me.
0: Wow. I'm learning so much about you. It's great. Um, another thing that I can remember being your friend is that I used to Mm -hmm. have this like Canon digital camera and you would Mm -hmm. look at my pictures and you would say wow you really know how to use your camera and Mm -hmm. now I'm like oh you knew what you're talking about
1: well the digital world is so overwhelming the digital photography world is like I have a really great high-end digital camera but but my relationship with it's like it's so intimidating because it can do so many things yeah whereas like i just i i learned with the knowledge and the limitations of film and the camera and light and that's like come more comfortable for me
0: right it's almost like i've heard like laurie mckenna will talk about the limitations of her voice you know and Mm -hmm. how she kind of likes working within those limitations maybe that translates to your camera
1: it does yeah no i i think i think i think it's good yeah God, love Lori. Oh, yeah. She's so limited. She's so (laughs) limited, I find.
0: Speaking of Rose Polanzani and Lori McKenna, you have a very special connection with the Cambridge, Massachusetts music community. And you. you first went there in 2002 on a work trip and visited Passim which is the club that eventually you would play at many, many, many times um, Mm -hmm. and became like an integral part of that Passim world. How do you think that community has shaped your musicality as in terms of like what kind of musician you wanted to be, what your career was going to look like, and what kind of performer you wanted to be? Mm -hmm. The, The Cambridge music scene is like,
1: was a place that helped me blossom in a way that was like the the invitation was so beautiful you know and and specifically credit to rose polanzani who really took my hand and you know brought me into her home Mm -hmm. and her community and and the ways that I was able to do that on my own by, you know, befriending Matt, coming and playing Campfire in 2003, and, and then telling him all of my hopes and dreams, you know, opening for Meg Hutchinson, opening for Edie Carey, opening for The Weepies, you know, he really, it's, and I just eventually met all the people that, who who were heroes, Chris Delmhorst, Jennifer Kimball, all those people who I was listening to, Melissa Ferrick, Cheryl Wheeler, Richard Schindel, you know, Laurie McKenna, Daryl Scott, like, John Gorka. All these incredible people who I had been listening to for years were kind of coming to this mecca. And um, the experience of collaboration is so rich. And so, like, I feel like, you know... I I feel like I had some doubt about myself in how to participate because I don't know how to read music and I don't have a confidence in joining into a jam whereas like you know there there was probably a moment where Rose Polanzani was like this is in C and handing me like a glock stick so that I could just play along in C and you know, and or also like forcing me, I feel like you were living at 952 when this happened, when she was forcing me to do that insane um, harmony part to that puka song, <laughs> but I did it, you know, like she, like she, it, she's, you know, singing with her and Jen Kimball and Chris Delmhorst, um, like just like the the richest of music, musical experiences the richest of collaborations the the and the support like i understood from where i grew up but just in a musical sense Mm. like let's bring all of our special magic things together and put them in this magic bucket and see what can shake it up and see what comes out and it's like of course yes i'll sing i'll play with you i'll come to your show i'll do all the things like it's it's such a rich community that isn't focused on the soaring of of people's career, but just in the richness of the musical experience that we make with each other. And so therefore, goodness and great career things come out of it too, because it's like, look at this incredible tool chest of of incredible people and musicians that that I have. And we've made so many beautiful things together. It informs, it continues to inform the way that I walk in the world Mm. and my deep love of collaboration.
0: It just kind of reaffirms it every time I'm there. Wow, Um, I wanted to hear about your, so we we heard a little bit about your experience with like poetry in school and being kind of intimidated as to like interpreting poems in school. But I wanted to Mm -hmm. hear more about that experience with poetry and your connection to poetry. You do talk about how much you like poetry and you often will post poems on your Instagram Mm -hmm. story. So um, when and where did that interest for you start Um, I definitely secretly wrote poems as a kid. I think the first opportunity
1: in high school to write them, I feel like I remember there was an English something where we had to write poems, um, in grade 11. I feel like, you know, poetry played a companion piece to music, which is just helping me exercise those emotions that I wasn't talking about Mm. out loud to anybody. Um, but my, my relationship with reading poetry has certainly been more ferocious in, the, in the recent past, you know, probably in the last, since, since I've been a touring musician in the last 15 years and, and really digging into and, you know, buying poetry books and, and uh, it feeds the same, I love poetry that gets right down into the, 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 you know, the deep struggle. Um, or that makes joyful things more sim- simplistic. But I also see, I, it's interesting, now that I think about it, poetry is this, it's like somewhere in between photography and music. If I think about a poem being a snapshot of time that's being written about in this thing. Like I guess poetry can can, can be as big and wide as possible conceptually, but I think probably my favorite poems are the ones that are like, you know, get you tunneled right down to that last line that just punches you in the face (laughs) or that talks about something like, you know, it's like it's easier to sing something or it's easier to read something in a poem that's like maybe harder to talk about. Right. You know, so that's probably the stuff that I kind of lean into. Like, you know, music gives you permission to stop for a minute and listen. And I think poetry does the same thing because, it doesn't ask for a huge commitment from you because poems, there are long poems, but for the most part, a poem is a short reading mm-hmm. and a song is a, you know, is a short listening that, that sends everything through a sieve a whole bunch of times. And this distillation process gets you down to the thing you actually really want to say, which is the human challenge of just like, what is it that you want to say? Like, what do you want me to know? You know, when you keep asking yourself, "What are you? What are you afraid of?" Well, what else? But what else? What actually? What's real? What's the real thing? You have to ask yourself so many times in order to get the actual nugget of what you're afraid of, because it, you, you're holding up a sign that says rejection. But when you go deeper down, you find out what what, what the actual thing is, and I think that's the thing that I. That's probably my strength. In if I think about in a co-writing situation, I'm just kind of like the distillation process is the most interesting to me Hmm. in writing poetry and in writing music. It's like, what are you trying to say? How can you make it more true?
0: You know? Yeah. In, In hearing about your emotional journey, like you have just it sounds like you have had like a really long hard journey to the level of emotional intelligence you're at now it's like pretty amazing to learn about well
1: I th- I don't know that it's I don't know that it's any harder than anyone else's I think I just am more interested in it so I kind of go I kind of stay on the front lines of it it's a very uncomfortable place to be but it's also right very interesting um yeah. and it doesn't mean that I'm good at emotions <laughs> but I am
0: I'm, I'm okay to stare at them yeah. <laughs> and talk about them. In the past several years, um, you've replaced the guitar with the baritone mm-hmm. ukulele as your main instrument. Were you playing that? You've been playing it for a while, but it's only recently that it's sort of like the one that gets taken out a lot. Yeah, in the last couple of years, for sure. What is different? about your ukulele versus a guitar and what emotions do you think that particular instruments can convey that you like? I think you know I'll
1: give credit to both Jennifer Kimball and Amy Correa in inspiring me to play it. Um, I think it's it's there's a simplicity to it because I tune it so that I can play it in, in a very simple way. So it's not complicated for some reason, it feels easier to play rhythmically on than the guitar. Like my, my relationship with the guitar has definitely changed, and I do love open tunings on the guitar. Um, I, think, I think that it's, it's like sometimes you look and f- look or you know touch different instruments, whether it's a different piano or a different guitar or a different you pick up an instrument, and then because it's a different instrument, it brings out different things like it brings out different ideas, different tunings, bring out different ideas. And, and the, the, um, the ukulele is, you know, highly portable and I love the tone of the baritone because it's not, it's not like a plinky, plink, plink, you mm. know, ukulele reputation. It's a, a really warm, rich, rich thing. I don't, I don't really know. I think it's just kind of like an evolution. Like maybe I'll swing back to the guitar. I haven't abandoned the guitar. Sure, I totally, just yeah. happened to, you know, like on We Have Made a Spark, I kind of had this, this, this one tuning that I used for all the songs, which was just making the high E a D, and I just let it, just so that I could let it ring out, and that seemed to inspire a lot of songs for that chapter. And for this most recent record, Bravado, I basically only play guitar on one song, and it's not even really a full song. And I don't have a reason why, I just kind of, that's just where the songs came out. It's just the instruments that the songs came out on, baritone, Mm. uke, and piano. So, you know, I used to play, I bought uh, a uh, mandola from Rye Cavanaugh and was playing that for a while, you know? So I think it's just the journey of of instruments. Who knows? Maybe the next will be like a kazoo. A piccolo.
0: A piccolo or like a French horn. (laughs) or maybe something from the renaissance
1: yes maybe an oboe
0: (laughs) the latest album is bravado and you've talked about your bravado is like your good friend that comes in handy and if you listen to the song bravado like you list all of the things that she's very good at that you don't want to do but can you talk about who she is, uh, when you discovered her, and what she does for you?
1: Yeah. Well, the song is the, is called The Expert because I really didn't want to call any song bravado. So I just want to say it's called The Expert.
0: Oh, yeah. Sorry. The Expert.
1: Yeah. So the, so the first song I wrote for the record is called The Fraud. And it was that song that I was like, right. There's a version of myself that lives out in the world that other people see and then there's the way I actually feel and what my internal experience is, my emotional experience. And I'm like there's some disparity between those two and I think it's very tiring holding those two worlds and it certainly begets a certain type of loneliness which of course changes shape over time so it was from that song that i was like huh the idea of the title of a record being bravado i was like this is a part of myself that needs to be to be mined and also aren't we all employing bravado on some part of a spectrum every single day of our lives you know if i think about being an introvert me being out of the world out in the world is is basically, I've just got some really fine-tuned coping skills, you know, mm. and I employ bravado all the time. Mm. And that's what the expert came from. It's kind of like, yeah, when I'm in the middle of a small talk conversation, I'm just, in pl- she's, she's leading the way because I hate small talk. Or there's just times when, when I'm, I'm tired, but I still have to rally or yeah. I, I, I and also the perception of, that people might have of someone who's on the stage you know there's a disparity between between that perception and the actual truth as well it's an interesting life like being on stage and being the product and, and having that feeling that kind of like does anyone really know anything am I actually sharing like I'm sharing these like deep songs but nobody knows what they're about and I wouldn't talk about what they're about specifically, you know, except with like, you know, close friends, but even so, not really. Mm -hmm. So it's, so I was just kind of like, where am I employing it? And in what parts of life, what does it look like when it's employed to work or in relationships, you know, familial relationships, romantic relationships, and just generally in the world? And that's kind of, that's, that's the string that gets pulled through the record
0: the song benefits of being alone something i really like about it or are you still calling it boba boba hashtag boba yeah hashtag boba um that song throws a spotlight on the fact that some people are alone and there's a difference between that and being lonely and Mm -hmm. i think it examines both things really well um and it made me think about like in the united states that if you are alone or if you don't have children there is this like Mm -hmm. judgment or exclusion of society kind of placed on you particularly if you're a woman Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering like is it similar in canada what is your observation and experience with that yeah i mean
1: i definitely you know, have been asked to be like, Oh, do you you know, do you have a family? And I was like, you know, I'd be like, well, yeah, don't you, you know, or like, (laughs) Oh, it must be hard for you, you know, to, to, to to date or get married. I'm just kind of like, no, I just, I just like haven't wanted to yet, (laughs) you know? Um, but also there's so much glory, like, you know, people who are not single and, you know, have kids or have a really busy life. They look at, they would look at me and be like, Oh my God, you must, it must be so great. Your life must be so great. You get to go to all these places and you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and absolutely. Like the answer to that would be, yes, it is great. But, and then I'm in, I'm in a situation where I'm at someone's house and they've got kids and it's like cozy and they're sitting down to, you know, they're doing, they've got all their routines and it seems really grounded. And I'm I'm looking at them and being like, man, this must be like so comforting to have like people in your life that are your, you know, anchors. And, uh, so I think it's, you know, the thing about bravado is that it's juxtaposed against itself. And so that thought of benefits of being alone is both true and tongue in cheek, because like, there's just, it depends on which side of the fence you're on. You're always, aren't we always as human beings looking to the other thing and comparing and being like, oh,
0: I want a little bit more of that. like, you know, finding balance is practically impossible. I, when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so great!" Because Rose Cousins is the funniest person that I know, and <laughs> you like wrote a song that reflects your humor, and also yeah. it's like super intelligent at examining both sides. And I was like, "This is like the best Harry Nilsson song mm-hmm. I've ever heard." And then I read, "Oh my god!" Well, that means that's that's high praise.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I I the yeah, the original version of it. Um, is slow, which would be a classic Rose Cousins. I was actually thinking more Randy Newman because it is tongue-in-cheek but sung in a sad way like Randy Newman does, like brilliant. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I recorded it like that in the in the studio and then I was like, I would love to hear this like in a Nick Lowe version because Nick Lowe also does that from the other side. Like he's like singing mean or hilarious sad <laughs> things in an upbeat way. So, I really like that the album opens and closes within that sandwich of exposing the both experiences of of the lyrics of that song, and also, I really think it depends on who's listening and how they experience the song, like where you are in your life, where like you don't have kids, I don't have kids, so we might experience it being like, "Yeah, being you know, not having kids and blah blah blah, this is great like you know, whereas if someone wishes they did they would feel it in a sad way so it just depends
0: yeah then there's like also a line in there about the girls weekend that we constantly postpone where it's like listen nobody's happy yeah exactly everyone's struggling everyone calm down yeah (laughs) um i would like to ask you about reaching a new level of your own truth i found this quote from you i actually didn't write down the quote because it was so long no i did write it down Um, you have said historically and I feel like you're referring to your writing you have alluded telling the full story and allude to things and it sounds like you did it differently when writing this album and I wanted to hear like what you might credit that change from and maybe how you see growing older and gaining wisdom impacting that practice yeah, I mean I think it's just that. It's like it's like I'm older, I'm wiser.
1: I've collected more experiences from which I'm deducing it's it's like the sieve I talked about earlier, like it's the distillation process and that happens as you grow older if you take the opportunity to house clean your emotional world along the way and take things from the experiences that you have, good and bad. This record is really probably the closest I've looked at, you know, calling myself out on bad crutches. (laughs) Not that I've eliminated them, but just that I'm, but I'm pointing to them and and telling them that I know that they're there and realizing that nothing's going to change unless I'm aware of them. And I think it's, you know, it's not, I don't think it's, Um, the majority of people I don't think probably examine emotions as deeply as I do, which is a blessing and a curse. But yeah, I just think that's the thing. It's like you you can, you can try and impart your wisdom on people who are younger than you, like they might have done for me when I was younger, but it's not going to, that you just have to earn it yourself. You Mm -hmm. just have to like live and fail and succeed and, and... Hurt, and you know, if you can embrace probably overall everything discomfort, then you can really see what gifts are in it. Because there is so much, you know, so so much energy goes into avoiding things that are uncomfortable. Myself included, oh, yeah, you know. That's yeah, yeah. that's what bravado does. She comes up and she's just like, "Let me take care of this uncomfortable situation." And you you can know, go
0: watch CBC. Yeah, go watch CBC, French or English right. Yeah. Gosh. Do you like getting older?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's not anything that I can do about it. And I think (laughs) that's, you know, where I, I'm glad that I'm interested in health and, um, keeping myself healthy. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a privilege. It's, it's a privilege. It has more in it my life has more in it now Mm. and it's it's like it's a collection of things of wisdom and it's a collection of friends and networks like whose paintings are on my wall and whose potted mugs are in my cupboard and Mm. whose kids I hold on my lap and you know it's it's a beautiful I feel very lucky I do feel like I'm kind of probably in the richest part of my life thus far I think it's I do think it, I'm I'm very lucky. It's amazing how and you probably feel the same. It's like <laughs> looking back the the different ways that you look at consequence. Um yeah, or your own body or sleep or what you actually want or right. what your purpose is. You know, like there comes a there comes a moment where you're where there's it's just like the, the taking stock n- never seems to go away. It comes, it comes back in inconsistent intervals. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's definitely an opportunity each time to be like, okay, what am I going to take with me moving forward and what am I going to let go? Right. So I think that distillation process is probably happening on a global, like on a general big scale for my whole life. Can you hear my dog in the background? He's chewing a monkey that I just bought for him. Are you chewing the monkey? That's one name for it.
0: (laughs) Hey, bud. Oh, my God, he's so cute. Should we wrap up by just letting you talk about your dog? Yes. I've wanted a dog for a really long time. Anyone
1: who knows me probably knows that. I definitely have relationships with other people's dogs. His name is Harrington, and I named him for my grandmother cousin's maiden name, which oh. is Harrington. He's a Schnoodle, Schnauzer, Poodle, Mini. He looks more like a Schnauzer. He is playing with a monkey. Um, I love him. I got him in. I I basically, you know, had my first real pandemic breakdown in May, and mm-hmm. like thousands, possibly millions of people uh, started panic looking for a puppy in mm-hmm. May. And I found him in Manitoba, Winkler, Manitoba. And, uh, I got him in July. He came on two airplanes and we have become life partners. Wow. And so I give him care and we go for lots of walks we meet lots of other dogs and people. And I call him the dog bridge because my introverted self goes out in the world now you know, three times a day during the day, whereas usually I would walk late at night and try not to interact with anybody. Mm -hmm. I now go out with my dog bridge in the day and I meet (laughs) lots of people. (laughs) I just meet people because now I have like, I don't have kids, but now I have a dog. So now I'm connected to dog people. There's like an automatic thing that I think happens with mothers of human kids Mm -hmm. that they have an automatic connection. And so now I have an automatic connection with dog people it's really special this is the longest i've been home in 15 years and so it feels nice to be a citizen of my own city um (gasps) whoa that's right (laughs) exactly he thinks so too yeah john harrington cousins
0: that's his name john harrington (gasps) yeah exactly buddy you probably have to go soon but before you go can we do the lightning round all right, and here yes. we go rose cousins what is the first song you learned on the guitar um something by the cranberries
1: that may or may not be true that or a lonely day by ben harper what is your coffee order um when i'm out i would get a double cappuccino first celebrity uh. crush Oh, God. Pierce Brosnan? Oh, no. Maybe Sean Connery? I don't know. One of those two. Okay. Oh, no. Or Bobby from Dallas,
0: which shows how old I am. (laughs) Who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Edie Carey. What is your favorite podcast?
1: Oh. (laughs) Is this where everyone says Cindy Cast? oh i maybe right now i've listened to during the pandemic i've listened to brene brown's um podcast unlocking us which i which i have enjoyed and i've listened to a few of the oprah ones and of course cindycast
0: yes nice one. First album you bought with your own money
1: mc hammer too legit to quit on cd <laughs> what was your first concert i mean the first one of note was when i went to uh the first lil fair. In Montreal, I think it was 1997, right. and I I left work like I did a, th- a irresponsible thing in order to get there. Like I didn't leave enough time for me to get back for my shift, and I barely got back from my shift. But I like fell asleep while driving, and like you know had a shower in a YMCA for five dollars. But like one of my best friends came and met me, and we drove in her. Mom's car, all the way to Montreal and back. Like in, like we went to see the concert and like got in the car. It's a twelve-hour drive. Oh my god, insane. So that was the biggest.
0: That was the biggest one. That's the most epic answer. Yeah. Last book you read? Um, I just finished *Many
1: Masters, Many Lives*, which was given to me by a friend from *Forever ago. for something. For some reason, he. Something I said made me made him think that I should read it, so I read it super quick. It's about a psychotherapist who brings this one he has this one patient who he goes through like regressions of like past lives with her. Oh, wow. So it's interesting. Um, and I'm currently reading Jan Arden's little newest biography which came out yesterday. Oh, cool. But I've but I've read quite a few interesting things in the in this last time. Between the world and us. I read uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I listened to um, The Body's Not the Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. I'm doing lots of good good, good, and varied reading and uh, poetry by David White, WHYTV. Yeah.
0: Okay, last question. Where mm-hmm. is the most beautiful place you've ever visited?
1: Prince Edward Island.
0: Oh, good answer. I was actually just in Cape
1: Breton on the weekend, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, and it was absolutely stunning. I really do think the east coast is, of Canada is, is beautiful, and I've seen a lot of beautiful places, but yeah, my heart beats for this place.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much for completing the lightning round. You have done very satisfactory. Uh, we made it through the interview without any tears. Yeah, although barely, it, I was on edge. I was on yeah, the edge I sensed of it. it, the precipice. No, I sensed it. Yep could see the brim of my eyelids I could water feel it welling right yep. well it's it's yep. I mean you're such a dear friend and a favorite yeah. musician of mine and it was just really it was a, a real pleasure and a privilege to talk to you for this amount of time and to to learn all about our dear friend Rose Cousins thank you <laughs> <laughs> well I love you Cindy and it's fun to um
1: it's fun to continue to share chapters of our lives together as we work, like as friends, and then like in our work. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool exchange program, Inter-
0: International <laughs> Exchange Program. Basic Folk this week was produced by me. I produced it and it was very fun and I had a good time and I did a great job. Laura McCarthy is our social media producer. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople composes our music. Basic Folk is proud to be on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cindy House. Thank you so much for joining me today on our 100th episode. And if you'd like to take a listen all the other episodes you can find them wherever you get podcasts and at cindyhouse.net okay we'll talk to you uh, the next one that you listen to which is maybe 101st episode of basic folk okay bye yeah exactly